0: All right, welcome to Making the Argument. Before we get started, I have a very important announcement. We have a brand new deal with goodranchers.com. That's right. If you go on to GoodRanchers and you use promo code NIC and you sign up for one of their subscriptions, you're not only going to get $15 off, but do you remember the old deal where you got two pounds of ground beef with each order? Well, we just upped the game. That's right. You can choose top sirloin, salmon, chicken breasts, or bacon now. Every single order you get on that subscription is going to come with free to get that deal and let's get on with the show. Well, one tiny little leak from the Supreme Court and guess what? Men can no longer have an opinion on abortion. Why? Because men can't get pregnant. (gasps) Sounds pretty transphobic based off of what the left has been saying recently, but there you have it. So today what we're seeing is a bunch of conversation, obviously, about Roe v. Wade potentially being overturned. And what we're going to discuss today is what exactly does that mean? Also, We're going to go over some of the most common arguments that you hear against the pro-life movement, and we're going to equip you with everything that you need to be able to effectively respond. All that and more coming up on this episode of Making the Argument, where we make the arguments to defend a free society. Thank you for
1: joining us on this conversation today. It's an important one that we're going to have, and hopefully you leave, with something valuable that you can use in conversation with a friend or family member.
0: All right. Well, as always, I'm your host, Nick Freitas, member of the Virginia House of Delegates. I also carried the Born Alive Act in this last session of the Virginia General Assembly. With me, as always, is my beautiful birthing person, mother of three (laughs) children, my wife, Tina.
2: Hello. It's great to be back.
0: And then, of course, our resident historian, political prognosticator, all-wise Twitter responder, Christian Hines. Hi.
3: And then, finally, (laughs) we have
0: our producer of producers... Nicholas Hamilton, the guy that makes it all possible. Pleasure to be here. Y'all just got back
1: from your 23rd anniversary vacation, we right? Did. We did. Real quick, in 10 seconds, how how was
0: it? It was great. It was great. We went down to an all-inclusive resort in Florida, had a great time, spent a lot of time in the pool. Mm-hmm. And um,
2: But the leak happened like the second day. The second y'all got And yeah. so there. we were actually pretty mentally busy
0: still. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. But it was good. It was a good experience. It was good. Well, just to set up uh, the
1: scenario here for the conversation that's taking place right now, um, Roe v. Wade definitely is an interesting point because it is, you know, what the left is so focused on in this debate. And it seems like it's it's um, if if they lose Roe v. Wade, everything, you know, abortion goes away for forever. Yeah. So I want to ask the question and set up what we're about to discuss, get a few details out of the way. What is the significance of Roe v. Wade, Nick, in this overarching conversation we're having?
0: So what what Roe v. Wade—there's a lot of confusion about what Roe v. Wade did and what it didn't do. So I think there's this impression now, especially among younger people, that—I mean, obviously, this was 1973— Right. This is before I was born. A lot of the younger people I think believe that before Roe v. Wade abortion was illegal across the United States and you couldn't get one no matter what the circumstances were. And then the Supreme court decided in 1973 based off of the fourth amendment that no, that's unfair. And that women have a a right to abortion. Well, while the Supreme court did essentially enshrine out of, out of nothing, this constitutional right to abortion, it is not true that abortion was somehow illegal across the United States Different states had different laws, which is kind of common among a lot of things with respect to, you know, economics and and you know criminal penalties and, and everything else. And all that was taking place with abortion is that in some states there was a lot of abortion restrictions. In other states, there was little to no abortion restrictions. And what was unique about Roe v. Wade is that it was an instance of the Supreme Court taking this decision entirely out of the hands of state legislatures and essentially enshrining in the Constitution a right which had never been there. And you, if you read the opinion, it, it's actually gotten a lot of mockery, even from, I, I would say, intellectually honest pro-choice attorneys who are willing to recognize that, yeah, the Supreme Court didn't actually, you know, rely on any sort of, you know, precedent or, or, or you know, specific constitutional wording. They just kind of made it up. It was because, a political decision. Yes. The, the court wanted, the, a majority of the court at the time wanted abortion to be legal across the, you know, the United States. And so they came up with a decision that made it legal. So just to clarify, if Roe v. Wade were overturned today, yeah.
1: that would not make abortion illegal in the United States. Literally nothing would...
0: So this is the crazy part. That well, I, there, again, there
2: are a few states where they do have an inaction... Uh, an,
0: they there, have there is a laws. clause yeah. that
2: says, if this is overturned, then this is the law. And it does happen. get outlawed. In Christian, do you know
3: what any of those states are? Um, I don't know every single one of them, but I know that off the top of my head, Texas is a, is probably the biggest one, sure. Arkansas, a lot of southern there's states, like yeah. Mississippi, yeah. Alabama. Yeah. Um, it, it's not a majority. It's not even close to a majority, but there's probably about a quarter, um, maybe a third of of states you know mostly in the south
0: and the midwest mm-hmm. um, there's a certain
2: and, number that outlaw it altogether and then there's another number that r- restrict it much more well and, and
0: even the outlaw altogether generally make exceptions for things like life and the mother
3: there's there's also some like legal gray area because there's some states that had very old laws on the books dating back to the 1930s or 40s outlawing abortion michigan is the most prominent of these yeah and the attorney general in michigan who's a democrat said if Roe's overturned that they're not going to uphold their state law and so that then you're going to get some issues with the Republican legislature there. It, here's it, here,
0: here's the most important thing. Here's the biggest takeaway, right? Here it is. If Roe v Wade is overturned tomorrow, all that means is that the decision with respect to abortion will be returned to the states. Sure. Which as it was, was... which was the reality from the moment we became a, you know, constitutional republic, right? To
1: nineteen seventy three. Sure, Christian, you've done a lot of review of this draft opinion that was leaked, and we've seen so much going around on Twitter, um, like it's abortion today, but interracial and contraception next. What have you been seeing about that? Okay, so I
3: I, I was I I've read so many tweets from people, unfortunately, yeah. many which get tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands hundreds of, of thousands. likes. Yeah, um, so many left wing media outlets like Slate was was running a piece basically saying that like, you know, this is going to open the floodgates to outlawing interracial marriage. And this is going to, this is like, like forget like Griswold V Connecticut. This is going to overturn like loving V Virginia, which was was literally the court case that overturned, you know, all state laws that banned interracial couples from marrying. First off, Just as Thomas (laughs) is in an interracial marriage. Sure. So, you know, just just to get that across, to to explain how utterly ridiculous the left is being. But more importantly than that, if you actually read, I know, shocker, 98% of people who are having an opinion on this on the left, maybe 99% of them have not actually read any of the (laughs) opinion itself. But if you actually read the opinion... Um, I'll read directly from page 62, um, so that way people can actually follow along with me if they want to go online and and look for this themselves. This is directly from Alito's opinion, and and, and, so I'm going to quote from him. Unable to show concrete reliance on Roe and Casey, Roe and Casey are the two main pro-abortion rulings, themselves, the solicitor general suggests that overruling those decisions would quote-unquote threaten the court's precedence holding that the due process clause protects other rights. And then he goes on to cite several of these court cases that we just uh, mentioned, these other historic court cases that, you know, provide rights to things like contraception or, or interracial marriage, et cetera. And then he goes on to say, this is not correct for reasons we have already discussed. As even the Casey plurality recognized, quote unquote, abortion is a unique act because it terminates life or potential or potential life. Um, So he's differentiating between Roe v. Wade and and Planned Parenthood versus Casey and some of these other historic court cases because the difference between them, we already know this, the difference between them is that in Roe v. Wade, you're talking about the right to kill another human being. That is not the case in Loving v. Virginia. Nobody was suing in Loving v. Virginia to, to have a constitutional right to go kill somebody else. You were suing to be able to marry somebody who have a different race than you. That is a completely different d- dispute here. And so then he concludes, and I'll end with this. He concludes with saying um, that, uh, and to ensure that our decision is not misunderstood or mischaracterized, poor Alito, It very much was. Mm -hmm. We emphasize that our decision concerns the constitutional right to abortion and no other right. Nothing in this opinion should be understood to cast doubt on precedents that do not concern abortion. So twofold. First off, it's utterly ridiculous that in the modern age, anybody is going to be arguing yeah. that we should be outlawing interracial marriage. To give you an idea, the last state in the entire country to have any sort of law in their books outlawing interracial marriage was Alabama. And they repealed it in a statewide referendum 22 years ago. And you had a majority of white voters in Alabama voting to overturn. In
0: vast. vast. Yes. Vast
3: majority. It yeah. passed by almost 20 points. So The idea that combined with the fact that one of the Supreme Court justices who's arguably going to be siding with Alito on this opinion is in an interracial marriage himself. I mean, it it is completely ridiculous to make that argument. And Alito himself inserts into the decision multiple times. I just quoted only one example. He says this over and over again, that this is simply a ruling that is dealing with the issue of Roe. It makes, it, it provides no legal precedent for any future court to touch anything else,
0: That's, anything, the, the two important parts about that, right. Is if Alito had just come out and said, Hey, we're making the decision based off of this reasoning, but we didn't, do, we don't mean it to apply to anything else that would be problematic, but he did it. He actually said, this is why it's different. And he gave something that distinguished Roe and Casey from every other case right that's that's what really gives this meat so he he he's doubled this up he said here's the distinguishing characteristic and nothing we are arguing can be interp- can be reasonably interpreted by any future court to suggest that that reasoning somehow applies on an equal level with these other cases and yet and yet the left has run out there and tried to make this about interracial marriage, or they've tried to make it about contraception. Why? Well, they again- They
2: to. It's because they, they need, need to. to. It's a political point. They play. have
0: to. And this yeah. is
3: super important because we know that there's rights that exist that human beings have that's not enshrined in the Constitution. The founders knew that. That's why they wrote the Ninth and 10th Amendments. And so the importance of this, um, the, the, you know, this paragraph in this opinion piece is to codify that there are rights that exist that are not- in the Constitution, and we're not touching those. We're not saying that, that oh, now if, if you don't have a right that's enshrined in the Constitution, then it doesn't exist in the eyes of the Supreme Court. I've heard so many people on the yeah. left say that. that you know Alito is now alleging that if the right doesn't exist in the Constitution verbatim, word by word, then it doesn't
1: exist according to this ruling. That is factually incorrect, and yeah. if you read the opinion, you would know that. All right, to set up my next question before we get to the final question of segment five, which is very important, is this, this tweet here that I have for everybody to see. To, for, and this appears to be from an OB-GYN. Tomorrow I'm going to wake up, go to work, and continue to provide abortions because I'm a doctor. It's my job, and it's the right thing to do. Hashtag abortion is healthcare. 271,000 likes.
3: Yeah, that's pretty Now, that's now right
1: here, here's what I find interesting about this. It would make sense to me that an OB-GYN would be the one person— in America to really agree with the point of safe, legal and rare in this situation. But obviously she doesn't. I mean, not oh, necessarily. So, no, well, so, so well, let me ask a question. What
0: happened to safe, legal and rare? Oh, it, it that was never a tenable position. That was never a tenable position for the left. And the reason why it was never a tenable position is because when you are making a claim that something should be safe, something should be legal. Okay. Once you say it's rare, what you're saying is that it's not desirable, that something is happening that shouldn't be happening, but we're making an exception. Well, that's not the position of the left when it comes to an issue like abortion. They see abortion as something that empowers women, that frees them from the shackle of of motherhood or child-rearing or pregnancy. And so this idea that it would be rare and, and the in implicit suggestion that there's something wrong going on or there's something that is undesirable going on flies in the face of what they're actually trying to achieve. So So it was only a matter of time. That's my point. This was only a matter of time before they had to abandon safe, legal, rare and move toward their real position, which is any time for any reason Mm -hmm. and at taxpayer expense.
2: Well, but also on top of that, safe, legal and rare was the phrase that they used as the the candy coating to help the bitter pill go down easier for your average person.
1: Mm. So do we think that they, the Democrat Party always intended to do away with that?
3: No, I don't think that it was like some, you know, like like secret effort where they got together at an Arby's every Tuesday and plotted, you know. <laughs> it was we're, how we're they transit. moved the needle. Though. Here's what I think happened. I think that Roe happened. It was very polarizing. Over time, the Democrats coalesced into being the pro-Roe party, so to speak. And But they here's the thing, though. The average person in the 70s and 80s and even 90s understood that abortion was not the right thing to do. It was not health care, and it was not a morally good act. It was, it, not was desirable, it was a constitutionally protected act according to the Supreme Court, and so therefore Democrats were going to support it, but they were not going to morally support it. And here's the thing. This is why it's untenable because you cannot perpetually hold an opinion in your head, a political opinion in your head that you also simultaneously believe is immoral. Sure. Eventually, one thing is going to give either you're going to forgive the idea that it's an immoral act and you're going to do exactly what the Democrats did, which is they turned around and they went from saying abortion is basically a necessary evil to abortion's a good thing. Shout your abortion. Abortion is health care. Or you're going to end up abandoning your position on abortion eventually. And the Democrats chose to hold their position on abortion. So therefore, they abandoned the moral view that abortion was an inherently well, bad thing.
2: The original pushers of abortion, though, because someone said, well, I don't think that that was what they were intending. I do think it's what they were intending. The original people who were pushing abortion, if you've ever read some of uh Oh, shoot. What's her name? Margaret Sanger's uh, quotes and the eugenics behind a lot of this stuff. And, oh, we don't like to talk about eugenics, but that is where this was born from. And you have to look at what what was behind it, pushing it from the beginning. And yes, I do think that 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 was what they used in order to make it more palatable to the average person. It was a tactic, a strategy in order to be. Make people more sympathetic to their cause. Okay,
3: right.
1: I, 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 I'm going to move on a second question. Go ahead, Christian.
3: One, one sec, um, second. So we were talking about uh, you know slightly different things. I sure. I get where you're coming from now, Tina, and I, I I agree. What I was trying to say by I don't think that this was like a conceded effort. I'm not talking about the original founders of like Parenthood in like the 1920s and 30s. I was talking more about like Democratic politicians that were talking about abortion in the 80s. Right. Oh, I, I, don't right. think,
0: I don't. I don't think the. I don't think the average. Democrat voter, you know, in Wisconsin somewhere, was like, "Oh gosh, we're going to do this," and then secretly later on. But to the point where, like, where people like Margaret say, "Absolutely, this is this is always look." The part that people don't want to admit about this is that they want to pretend that abortion was solely about, you know, freeing women from, you know, certain shackles that they believe that nature and society had placed on them. So nature had put the responsibility for, you know, obviously carrying and bearing children on women, right? And then society- That's a very, that's
2: a very transphobic thing to but
0: Okay, but then society had also, and, and this is a part where there's there's some, um, like we can be sympathetic to this part of the argument, right? That society had said is that, well, because women are the only ones that can carry children and bear children, therefore their place is to X, Y. and And obviously it is inappropriate- to suggest that because someone is a woman therefore they have to in- engage in this activity because they're biologically equipped to do it right yes it is inappropriate for anyone to you know impose this idea that you must do this because you're capable of doing this right the problem is is that that's not it's not abortion doesn't just free women from the shackles of biology it was also founded within the eugenics movement it was sure. this idea that we were going to create a better society of people through selective breeding, mm-hmm. and and if you don't find that a little bit Orwellian and and terrifying, there
3: was an element behind the original. You know, to, to wrap up this whole segment, Sure. there was an element behind the original supporters of this a hundred years ago that is tied in with eugenics. Yes, and. The left does not like to talk about this. Oh, but it still goes through in their tweets. You can go read Margaret Mm -hmm. Sanger's writings. And not only that... I don't even think some of these people who who have maybe never even heard of her are using her arguments without even realizing it. Just oh, go no. on Twitter. I mean, they you, actually love
2: Margaret Sanger. I mean, they love her. Well, I Still, think the average like millennial, yet, she has not yet been canceled.
3: I think the average Zoomer millennial that's like my age that is on the left that supports abortion probably has never heard of her because of
1: how terrible.
2: I think it, mascot, I think it so. was
1: last year that Planned Parenthood started taking enough flack that they actually did come out and say they, they, that they did yeah. come out and start to say that there were parents. problems with it because she's what, quoted as saying. Let me jump that, in here. Yeah. Last question of this segment is going to set us up for the making the argument segment just in a few minutes. And Tina, I want to start out with you for our last question here is for an answer. Why is abortion so important to the left?
2: Well, I mean, one of the reasons it's so important is because I believe that that uh, feminism tends to be something that, that they have latched onto and sort of co-opted. Originally feminism was, was, you know, born in the desire to be able to vote and have actual equal rights and things of that nature, which was an incredibly noble cause. And um, even Susan B. Anthony, uh, she was more on the right. She was not a a socialist. She wasn't somebody who, who uh, didn't like motherhood or anything like that. So the left has really, really honestly, I feel, I I mean, I feel like they, they need to be depended on in the place of family in order to maintain the control that they need and Hmm. whatever they can do to, to break the family down. Um, Now I'm, I'm, Saying this from a perspective of thinking whatever they're doing is nefarious, but it it is nefarious because there is a, a an intention, and then there's just a, a result, yeah. and they may intend to free people and and help people feel uh, like they aren't tied down to a child or, or what. And, and it's, it's born of the feminist movement where it's like women should put careers before family and, and things of that nature and really minimizing motherhood and, you know, making women less dependent on men for income and for their livelihood. And because, you know, we were coming out of a, a situation where, I mean, gosh, Back in England, back in, when was this? Like in the 18, 1700s, somewhere in there. Uh, inheritance went to the firstborn man in, in the, the in the bloodline. Women had to be, uh, they were sort of an afterthought. Like, well, I better make sure that my daughter's going to be okay and and set aside this little bit of money for her. They They wanted women to, and this was the noble goal, is that they wanted women to be able to stand on their own two feet and conduct business and to to be equal. Um, unfortunately, it has really been perverted into uh, releasing them from the shackles of motherhood, which I really believe makes us unique. So,
1: I, let's go ahead and move into the making the argument. And I got Tina. I got one more question for you. Um, why is it that men should have an opinion on abortion?
2: Because they've been born.
1: <laughs> we um,
2: were
0: fetuses too once. Dang it!
2: Honestly. I I cannot believe that this idea that men can't have an opinion on abortion is uh is even a thing. Um, the idea that I mean this it's it's an atrocity. It's a child. And okay, let me just flip the script for you. What would happen if a guy um you know was in a relationship with a woman, got her pregnant, and and he said I. I don't want to take care of the child. I still want you, but I don't want to take care of the child. So you need to get rid of it. Um, Oh, that actually happens. And the abortion industry um, makes that very easy to do. Right. But the thing is, is what do we all think of men who shirk their children and, and sign away their parental rights and don't want anything to do with their children? What do we think of them? We think pretty bad thoughts. Mm -hmm. You're a deadbeat. You're, you're an absentee father. You're you're a guy that just goes, gets a girl pregnant and and you just use women. And what's interesting to me is the answer they have for this. Isn't that men get better and that men actually value women and that men actually value their offspring and their children and actually are purposeful about who they impregnate? Um instead, it's this universal actually it's okay women can do it too. And, and, oh, but you better not think the bad thoughts about the woman like you do about the man. Yeah. Because, you know, yes, if a guy decides to do that, he's horrible and awful. And, and we can say all kinds of horrible things about men, but if a woman does it, she's brave and she's, you know, taking ownership of her life. And the guy has no say in it. There are, there are men who have been absolutely crushed by abortion because a child they wanted, that they wanted to be able to take care of, um, has been aborted.
0: Well, I I think it was one of the most interesting things I saw, which I think a lot of us, a lot of us considered exactly that point. And, And it was following the, it was following the liberal logic to its logical conclusion. And that's when Dave Chappelle got up on stage once and said, I totally support your right to choose, but if you can kill the, then why can't I abandon them? And he said, your body, your choice, my wallet, my choice. Right. And the thing was, is people looked at that as like, that's horrific. And all of us are like, yeah, it is. But he's using the same logic you're using. Like, do you, do you understand that is the implicate, that is the logical implication of the reasoning that you're applying to this situation?
2: Yeah. And if you back it up a little bit and you know, the left likes to go, well, that's your wallet. That's money. Well, what does it take to earn money? Your body Mm -hmm. doing work. Well, it's your think, body doing I, work.
0: I think when we also look at like, why is this situation so important to the left? Um, I do think everything Tina said is accurate, that this was, uh, I think there was parts of this. Um, I, I think this is a perversion of certain objectives that were noble. And that's the idea that women should be treated fairly and equally before the law, that they shouldn't be denied certain opportunities simply because of their biology. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I, think, I think that's a noble goal. Where it becomes perverse is this idea that well, since their biology equips them differently and for different things, then their biology is acting as some sort of tyranny over them, mm-hmm. and the solution to that tyranny is the elimination of the child in the womb. And what has become the reason why I think this has become so important is because the left version of liberty um, is is not our version. Our version of liberty is generally found in this idea that you're free to do what you want, provided that You don't infringe on the rights of others, and you assume responsibility for your actions. The leftist version of liberty is not the same thing. No responsibility. It's more of this idea of I can do what makes me feel good and is core to what I've considered my identity to be, and you're responsible for my actions depending on what group I'm in or what economic status I maintain. And what's interesting is that's not liberty, that's licentiousness. And there's a huge difference between the two. Mm-hmm. Define licentiousness. Licentiousness is, I, we, we oftentimes associate with like libertine behavior. It's this idea that, again, if it feels good, do it. Mm-hmm. And you're going to do it despite the consequences to other people. And you almost have this, this feeling that somebody else owes you mm-hmm. that, that ability to do it. Now, again, that's not a perfect textbook definition of licentiousness, but those are the general it's characteristics. It's freedom from consequence. Those are the characteristics. Yeah, free, those are characteristics we associate with it. Now, if, if you have worked it into your mind that morally... If you fit into a certain category of oppressed person or some sort of, of like favored status within leftist ideology, then you're entitled to be able to do these things. You're entitled to certain goods and services without having to necessarily have done anything in, in exchange for those services. You're entitled to be free of certain consequences. And that's why you will see people on the left say things like, well, consent to sex is not consent to pregnancy. And and what I find fascinating about that is that we're no longer talking about, um, you know, things that we can uh, essentially affect through law. What we're saying is that there's a certain reality to existence that they don't like, right? And therefore, they should be freed from the reality of that existence. And and if that includes hurting another person, stealing from another person, or in this case, killing another person, so be it. If they fall within the favored status, and the person that's being stolen from, hurt, or eliminated doesn't fall within that favored status. And that's, that has become so elemental and fundamental to leftist, I'm not saying liberal, leftist ideology. And what I think is so important at this point is because this has gone on for so long, and because there's been so many people that have been convinced or coerced To have an abortion, because I think something fundamentally, at at our core nature, understands that there's something wrong and unnatural about it. That there's one of two responses that you can have when you come face to face with the consequences of something that you've done. Especially Mm -hmm. as it affects another human being. There's two responses. You either turn away from it, or you double down on it.
3: That's what I said earlier. That's why mm-hmm. safe,
0: legal, and rare was never going to be a sustainable position. Yeah. They, either had, they either had to say that was wrong and I shouldn't have done it, or they had to say this was good and noble and I'm brave and wonderful for having done it. And if you can look throughout history, there are a number of examples of people. You, we look back now, we're like, how did people ever accept that or justify it? And what you end up finding out is that it, it's never something where they they remain consistent with the, well, this stinks and why we were went there, but I don't get a good solution, so we're going to let it. it. It's always they double down and say, no, 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 this was a good thing. And that's that's where it gets scary. So
3: brief 30-second story to that. I'm not going to – people do this all the time when you make comparisons. No, I'm not saying that anybody that, that supports Roe v. Wade is a segregationist or a slave owner. Just getting that out there. But – To Nick's point, one of the most famous examples of what Nick just described historically in the United States is the issue of slavery. When the founding fathers—and again, I'm not saying that people that disagree with us on the life issue support slavery. I mean, the the fact that I even need to say that is ridiculous. No, they
2: support the killing of unborn babies. But that's a whole
3: different issue. But when the founding fathers created this country— Unfortunately, many of them were slave owners, and likewise, many of them realized the moral evils of slavery. Thomas Jefferson, if you read his personal writings, yeah. I mean, he is, he's torn on this because he owned many slaves, and he also realized it was extremely immoral to do so. And he had this cognitive dissonance his ent- his entire life, where on one hand, he believed in individual liberty, but on another hand, he owned people in human bondage. Mm-hmm. And Many founding fathers were like that. James Madison, whose house is just down the road from here, had had a similar view. He hated slavery as well, and yet he owned many slaves. And this was a common thing with our founding fathers. They universe, almost universally recognized the evil of slavery, and yet many of them owned them. And And this was a contradiction where in the beginning of this country— the, the political class that owned slaves realized that it was wrong and yet did it, but they nonetheless realized that it was wrong. And they hoped that one day, maybe the next generation would find a way and, to and solve the And in some problem. ways they
0: actually sowed the seeds within the constitution or within the justification of the declaration of independence for the eventual destruction of it. Oh yes. Yes. Yeah. They, they included but, things like banning, yeah. you know,
3: the importation of the slave trade after mm-hmm. 20 years, which Congress yeah. immediately did when they yeah. had the legal ability to do so. And, and, and so like, and, and this is before the, I mean, I don't want to get into a long history lesson, but, you know, this was back when it looked like slavery was going to go by the wayside, the cotton gin hadn't been invented yet, etc. So there was a hope that within the next generation or so that it would die out of its own and that, that eventually it, it would, you know, people would would emancipate their slaves. Unfortunately, circumstances went in a different direction. And what happened by the time you get into the 1860s or 1850s, the new generation, at this point, the founding fathers are all gone, the new generation of political um, you know, power holders in the United States that own slaves, they no longer held the view that it was morally evil like the founding fathers did. Go read like the writings of the vice president of the Confederacy, Still Alexander does. Stevens, and like the cornerstone speech at the beginning of the Civil War where he says that like, you know, the old Constitution, the American Constitution, you know, believed in the fundamental you know freedom of, of you know, everybody you know, our constitution, the Confederate constitution, we recognize the exact opposite. Yeah. And, and he was literally making the argument that slavery was a morally justifiably good thing. And that is when you end up getting people who didn't own slaves, mostly in the North realized this is ridiculous. They were willing to stomach for various reasons, the argument that it was a necessary evil for 80 something years, 60 something years. But the minute that the political power holders in the American South went from saying, this is a necessary evil. We don't know what to do with it to This is a morally good thing and you need to be supportive of it or else you're a bad person. Suddenly people on the sidelines were like, I'm sorry. No, it's not.
0: Well, and this is, this is what is so different about this moment. Versus 1973 and, and everything else is because at this moment the left is not the left has completely stripped away the veil of safe legal and rare and they have moved to any time for any reason at taxpayer expense because it is a moral and societal good and that's the part where we're going to find out where our country really stands sure. on this issue.
2: Right, that's the pendulum swing. I yes. mean, here in Virginia, just a couple of years ago, we had Kathy Tran, Delegate Kathy Tran. Standing up there, advocating for abortion up to the moment of birth, you can hear Todd Gilbert, Delegate, who's Speaker of the House now, um, asking her, "Is it? How about when she's going into labor, when she's dilating?" And she says, "Yes, it would protect that." And the well, and
0: keep in mind that same year, Delegate Tran had a bill. I was to just protect going to say that moth larvae. moth
2: larvae. She was going to protect moth larvae with a bill. They're So compassionate, but not human babies
0: well at l- the moment
2: l- of l- birth let me,
1: let me move on to my first question of this segment um uh, tina you were talking about men and our opinion on abortion or whether or not we can have one often the left will come back and tell us that we d- we can't have an opinion on abortion because of my body my choice so nick i'm wondering huh. if you can uh help us out with that argument and give some details
0: so th- this is the <laughs> this is the interesting part with all these Arguments with the left, and that is how dedicated do they want to be to linear thinking, rationale, critical thinking, laws of logic, etc.? And, and the answer is when it suits them, they do, and when it doesn't suit them, they don't. Because my body, my choice is quite possibly the most absurd, intellectually dishonest, and self defeating argument you could ever use for abortion. And the reason why is simple it is predicated on the idea that you have some degree of sovereignty, moral sovereignty, and agency over your body. And so the question I always ask is, I, I'll have people do this, like, well, my body, my choice. I'm like, why is it your body? And that always shocks them. He's like, what do you mean, why is it my, of course it's my body. I'm like, okay, I'll agree it's your body. Why is it your choice? Why is it your choice? Oh, well, again, because I have moral agency, I have moral ownership over my body. So presumably, I also have Moral authority over my body, right? I have ownership over my body. Not yes. anymore. So theoretically, wait a second. Theoretically, I'm also responsible for my actions if I have ownership over my body and I can control what it does. It's, so the moment they admit this, the moment they say my body, my choice, you're saying my response is always like I totally agree. And yeah. it's And the baby is a separate body. And if you are using your body in such a way as to impose your will on that body, then what you're effectively doing is denying them the same moral ownership but and they, authority they you reserve for yourself. Premise, but they, they don't agree the, with that premise, They don't agree with that
2: premise. They treat the baby like it's a parasite. Right. Like, like it suddenly, through no fault of their own, just suddenly sprung up one day that's why
3: they deny in their the, uterus. That's why they deny the humanity of it. That's why they call it a fetus. That's why they say it's a clump of cells. But what they're
2: not paying attention to is first cause. They engaged in an activity that brought about the absolute dependency of a child. Sure. Okay. So what about that child?
0: Let's look at it this way. All right. So the the same party that tells us trust the science, follow the science We Mm -hmm. we got, and I'm not talking about Dr. Fauci. I'm talking about like an actual scientific, follow
2: the political science, honey. (laughs) Remember you cracked the code on that one.
0: Yeah. Um, here's what it comes down to. If we, if we distinguish and, and I brought this up in a floor speech once, um, if we distinguish between life and non-life, what are the scientific criteria we use to do that? Well, there, there's there's various ones. It has to do with growth, homeostasis, the ability to turn, you know, like food or consum- into energy, um, reproductive capacity. These are all characteristics that we utilize in order to distinguish between that bird is alive and that rock is not. Right? And, and these are not controversial. These are not controversial criteria. Have you ever heard of panpsychism? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> sorry. sorry. <laughs>
1: What in the world?
3: No, that's that's a whole
0: other discussion. So so we, we, again, this is not controversial within the scientific community and how we distinguish between a a living entity and a non-living entity. Okay. So at the moment of conception, are we talking about a living entity or a non-living entity? Living entity. There's no question. There is no question we are talking about a living entity. The second question is human life versus non-human life, because we treat these two things differently, right? I can eat the cow. I'm not allowed to eat my neighbor right? We, there, there's moral and legal differentiations between those two things. So here's the second question at the moment of conception is the living entity, a human living entity. Well, how would we determine that? Scientifically, we would look at things like characteristics. And one of those primary characteristics that we would use that is, that is pretty, you know, insurmountable is deoxyribonucleic acid, DNA. So at the point of conception, how much DNA do you, you only got part of your DNA? No, you've got all of it, all of your genetic code, all the genetic code that that would would be required to distinguish you as human life from any other type of life is present at the moment of conception. Mm -hmm. So at the moment of conception, you meet the scientific criteria that we use to distinguish between life and non-life. You meet the scientific criteria that we use to distinguish between human life and non-human life. There's a third question. And this goes to the point Tina was making. The third question is innocence versus guilt. So we do make allowances for when one person can kill another person. And it's in self-defense. And so that the argument, the left, the argument, you'll notice they used to make an argument like, that's not, that's not a real person, that's not a real, you know, it's cells. a clump of cells. They can't make those arguments anymore because the, the preponderance of scientific evidence is so overwhelmingly against them. I mean, I would argue it was against them in 73, but it is just obvious now. So now it's the argument that the child is a parasite. Well, first of all, a child does not meet the criteria for being a parasite. Second of all, if you look at the question of first cause, when we distinguish between you come up and hit me and I hit you back, I'm engaging in what is considered to be a defensive act. You're gauging in an aggressive act. Sure. So in the question of pregnancy, if you really want to get you know, literal here with respect to legal definitions or even philosophical definitions of innocence versus um, you know, aggressive action, the child had no say over what happened to them had no say over the sexual act that took place it had no say over the conditions that they now find themselves in they're following the the natural biological process by which children have come into existence since the beginning of humankind right so under what legal category could you classify that child as, as having engaged in an aggressive act against the mother? Like it, you can't, it, it would be the, it would almost be the equivalent of like me inviting you onto a plane, taking you for a ride and be like, you know what? Halfway through I've decided I don't want you here anymore. And after all, this is my plane. Now they would argue, well, we didn't invite you into the plane. Well, no, you, you engage in an activity that you sure. know, can bring about that consequence. And so to deny that consequence is a real thing mm-hmm. as a result of the action you voluntarily participated in, yeah. right? That that's absurd. So under the three categories, Distinguishing between living and non-living, human life and non-human life, and innocence and guilt. There's absolutely no question that at a moment conception, what we're talking about is innocent human life. All right, let's say you've made that argument. And let's say the person you're arguing still
1: is making the case for abortion. And they come back with this. I've got a tweet on screen here. If it was about babies, we'd have an excellent and free universal maternal care. You wouldn't be charged a cent to give birth, no matter how complicated your delivery was. If it was about babies, we'd have months and months of paternal leave for everyone. And let me give you another example here. This one's kind of long, uh, but I think it—I've seen so much of this taking place online. This, You know, I think this is the logical next step in the argument you just displayed. And it says, Women, can I have birth control? Republicans, no. Women, I couldn't get birth control, so I got pregnant. Can I have an abortion? Republicans, no. Women— you prevented me from having an abortion so I'm carrying the fetus but my employer won't provide reasonable accommodations and is threatening to fire me. Would you please pass the Pregnant Workers Fairness Act, Republicans know. Anyway, this goes on and on and on. Yeah. And they they make they frame the argument as if Republicans have eliminated any uh, support for the mother in that circumstance. And I think this is the dominating argument that we see happening on You know what I find very ironic.
3: I would take some of these arguments a whole lot more seriously if the party that is making these arguments and saying things like my body, my choice, or, you know, can you give me this or can you give me that? If they hadn't spent the past year and a half violating my body, my choice for everybody else with vaccine
1: mandates. You know, the consistency that I find in this is every single one of these solutions that they provide to support the mother comes through a government action. And,
0: And that's so this is true of so many things. Whether we're talking, and not just with the question of abortion, with the question of the environment, with the question of education. The way that they frame the debate is we have a solution which includes more government power, more government confiscation and redistribution, and more government control. And if you come back and say, well, okay, I, I don't like that approach. Oh, well then you don't want to save the environment. You don't want to take care of moms that are in bad situations. You don't want to educate children. And this is a, there's a famous Bastiat quote that basically says that the socialist confuses that because we don't want the state to do a particular right. act that we don't want it to be done at all. And this is what this is. Now there, there's two components of this that I think that are important to bring up. The first one is, or three actually, here's the first one I like to do because a lot of things that they're mentioning actually do exist in law. Mm-hmm. Right. There is such a thing as Wiccan food stamps. Yep. Yeah. Right? So here's my question. Okay, great. If we have all these programs, will you agree that there shouldn't be abortion? Their answer is never yes. No, because absolutely. we already have They, they want pro- the programs they, and then they yeah, still want to be able are to. They are to. attempting
1: to frame this as they are the compassionate yes. ones and we are the evil ones that want them to suffer. Yeah.
2: No. It, at it, the end of the day, all of this rigmarole that this woman has some put into print that is just ridiculous it's all there to justify the destruction the tearing apart of an unborn child in the womb with no not so much as painkiller so I want to look back and go okay so you're saying that if I cannot you're holding your baby hostage And if I cannot provide absolutely all of your demands and make it all perfectly smooth to where you don't have to feel any pain, you don't have to support yourself, you don't have to do anything. You can just continue to live um, like a child who gets to do whatever they want and have no responsibility. And all of this, if, if I don't give you all of this, you're threatening to kill and dismember And have sucked out a human baby. And I just, to me, I want to go, you know, you can make all the arguments you want, but at the end of the day, you are 100% in the category of wanting to kill babies. And I am 100% in the category of wanting to save babies. That's it. That's the difference between us. And if you came to me and there is a a pro-life organization called Let Them Live Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and they find women who have all kinds of issues that that are, what is the main thing that that is your biggest fear in carrying this pregnancy? And they will say, they, it's amazing some of the things they say, like, I don't have a crib or I don't have yeah. diapers yeah. or I don't know if I can afford formula what? or I don't have an apartment. And the, this organization, one by one, removes those obstacles for them long-term.
1: Yeah. Well, Crisis Pregnancy Centers do the
2: same thing. Well, Well, not quite. Not quite because Crisis Pregnancy Center provides a lot of care and and some things afterwards. Let Them Live actually goes through and like they will – take donations to pay the rent. Sure. To, it, so it, they take it way further.
1: There are some pregnancy resource centers that'll do the same thing No, as well.
0: they, they are, and they work in conjunction with one another. But it, so again, I, I pointed out there was three problems with this. The first no. problem is, is that, okay, great, if we gave you all of this, would you be against abortion? Their answer is always no. No. Which tells you it's not about this. Yeah.
2: It's about convenience right? ultimately.
0: Okay, secondly... The problem is exactly what Tina just said. It's like, okay, wait. It's like, so you're, you're holding your, you're holding the baby hostage. You're saying if we don't get every single program that we want, that we have determined is good for the child and good for the family, then these child can be killed. Like really, that's the moral, that's the moral yeah. conundrum you want well, to be. One in? of
2: the things that they will also bring up as a side note, um, in order to justify this, because they still really, you can tell, like, if it's just a baby, they really do still struggle with it. So here's what they do. It's not sentient.
0: Well, well, wait, wait a second. Cause sentience. we're, we're going to get, Oh, in, are getting into that. Yeah. We're going to get into yeah, that. Get into that. that. Sorry. The, the, the problem here, the third, the third thing that I was, I'm trying to put out there is it's the idea that if you don't do it this way, there's no other way. These po- these things possibly could have been yeah. done. And and they need, they need to frame it in this. They need to frame it in this thing where it's like, okay, we as the government have the solution yep. or we as the leftist progressive have the solution. And if you don't adapt our solution, then you don't care about the problem and you have no solutions of your own. You don't know reminds climate me of? change.
3: Um, old episode from yes, prime minister from yeah. a long time ago, the, the line, something must be done. This is something.
0: Therefore it must be yeah. done. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, 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 and isn't it convenient at the end of the day, what they want is a solution that gives their political ideology a great deal more power.
3: Yeah.
2: yeah.
0: Right. Like well, it's, the, it's the, the solution I want does not give my political ideology more power. It actually does more to help the mother or help the child. You know what it's, I
3: find very interesting thought pro- uh, experiment for you. Hypothetically, if the act of legalizing abortion or encouraging abortion drastically reduced the uh, influence of you know socialism or leftism or, or liberalism or progressivism, whatever you want to call it, yeah, if it drastically reduced that influence, there would be a huge split within the Democratic Party on this issue. Yeah. You'd have some principal people that would still be like, you know, I still want to support it for whatever reason, privacy or whatever you would have a lot of Democrats that would be very pro-life if you could somehow uh, make an argument that pro-life laws result in more socialism. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, 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 but I would still be every bit as pro-life. Oh, I would still be every <laughs> yeah. bit as pro-life too. I, no, I, I, because it's a moral even, even when
2: you take away all of these issues and let's say I will provide you 100% of all of this, let's say ultimately they will revert right back to, but it's my body and I don't want to carry this yeah. baby. Yes, And and they will also, you know, go, you know. Basically, what I want is going to to dominate all of this. They're they're just using whatever they can throw at the wall, hoping trying to something demoni- can stick.
1: Demonize the opposition,
2: right? And but there's also well, this idea tra- of cradle to grave government, yeah. and and anything to make you more dependent on the government means that you that these leaders can gain more and more political power. Um, well, the ben, more you depend on them. Ben, ben
0: Shapiro said it best, I think, when he summed it up and he said that he was the, the problem with a lot of this leftist movement is that they treat adults like children mm-hmm. and they treat children like they're disposable.
2: <laughs> that's true. Or, or they're mascots. So, think that's,
1: that's yeah. a compelling quote. It is compelling. The next step after this, after they come at us with this, oh, well, you don't support all these programs. So they say you're, you're only pro-birth. Mm-hmm. You, you don't support the child after birth.
3: You know but, what's so funny? They're not even pro
1: yeah.
2: <laughs> so, but It's a self-defeating another, argument right There's there. another one they will throw at you as well. They'll say you're not pro-life unless you're also against the death penalty. Yeah. And <laughs> it's...
0: It, it, so this is amazing because I, I actually, I, I am, and look, we've had this issue come up before the General Assembly. And, and I'm actually sympathetic to the elimination of the death penalty. Now, the only reason I had a problem with it when we did in the General Assembly this other year is because they essentially ended life without parole. And, and I do think there has to be some mechanism where we say, look, if you're a violent offender that goes out and murders people, you don't get to come back. Yeah. Right. And so, but the reason why this is so, again, philosophically ridiculous is because they're making no distinction. And and I've seen libertarians make this argument and it's like are you serious? They're making right. no distinction between someone that Innocent is actually engaged in a in a willing violent act and, and, and usually in capital cases to take the life of another person right. and a completely innocent person that has done nothing wrong. You're making no distinction between the two. That argument is absurd. Now you can make a good argument for why the, the state should not have the power to you know, kill somebody in custody. You can make a good argument for that state. You cannot make a moral equivalency between oh, abortion and the death.
2: Penalty. But I know how to end this conversation before even winding up into all of that. Okay, let's get rid of the death penalty. Can we also get rid of abortion? Yeah. no, no, of so course not. I don't care what it is they bring up. They do not want to stop having the right to rip their babies apart. And that's what this comes down to. Well, And
0: let, let's also be honest here. there, There is a huge population of men that love this.
2: Yes, they do. Oh, not yeah.
0: because it's about female empowerment. But because it's about them being able to have some sort of false moral ability you know, they get to, to call shirk themselves their own feminist. responsibilities, right? Yeah. They don't want they don't want to make they, they want to have casual, quote unquote consequenceless Consequence. sex without having to make any real commitment oh, to the Oh, it's woman a woman or the womanizer's
2: child. dream. Yeah. And you know who else an is, an dream? is dream it is? Abusers. Yeah. There mm-hmm. are so many uh, cases that have been brought up where Planned Parenthood and various other or- abortion organizations have covered up abuse, incest, yep. and even violent abuse for abusers. I mean, child traffickers use their services like you wouldn't believe. And that's an argument that they just don't want to. They, oh, we better not have that argument. And it's it's kind of like when you start calling them a groomer for you know doing grooming, um, they they get really mad and they start projecting and, and throwing it back at you. And ultimately, I just I I'm not having it. So, let's yeah. just mm-mm.
1: let's move on to our last question of this segment real quick, and then we're gonna go into our speakeasy portion. The Last question we have, or I have, is on viability, and it's this conversation that the left. Um, you know, will eventually come to, and I think we need to dismantle it right quick. Nick?
0: Well, I mean, the, the problem is, is that if you're going to discuss viability, it becomes a subjective definition of what constitutes viability. A, a child born two seconds after born it is, is not viable in any practical sense with respect to being able to take care and maintain themselves. Now, what the left will argue is that, well, the difference there is somebody that now wants that child could take care of them. And so that's different. And, and the point that I would argue is that it may be different on a practical level. It's not different on a moral level, because I can come up with, uh, I don't know how many different cases of viability with respect to somebody that's temporarily in a coma, right? So w- with respect, they say the same thing when Tino's bringing up the whole idea of sentience. Mm-hmm. So now what they're trying to come up with is, is highly subjective criteria. And the implications of that are really dangerous, because now if this is all arbitrary, if we can say, oh, well, it's a viability issue, it's a sentience issue okay, well, it wasn't that long ago in history that where people were coming up with different criteria on where you could kill an innocent human being because you found them inconvenient or mentally disabled or of a particular race you didn't prefer. Uh, We should probably
2: define viability. Viability in a biological sense is the ability to survive or live successfully. And there are a lot of people without special needs Yeah. That by this definition would not be viable. Yeah, when
3: I was ten years old, I was not viable.
0: Well, and that's the question. And and, <laughs> and again, you you see this you see this come up a lot when somebody brings up the question of viability. They're like, okay, so the the moment like you know you you get into a coma or something like that, can I kill you? And and they have they really struggle. Can with I it. just
2: take you off the machine? Yeah.
0: Or or right. if you're or if you're an infant, right? And you and I are, you know are on an island. There's nobody else to take care of you. Can I just abandon? Oh,
2: you? Oh,
1: I'm not yeah. even
3: when I said that joke. I wasn't talking about like in a coma or something. I, I was talking about.
0: Most children
3: are not, they can't just go off into the world. And so like, if I was left to my own devices as a 10 year old, I would have starved to death. And
0: and so that always brings up the moral question is like, okay, so can we kill them? Now what's fascinating is that you have some ethicists to include. I think one was Peter Singer at Yale who said that, yes, you should be able to kill the child up to like the age of two or something like that. And, And this becomes the problem with every single argument that they use. Once they acknowledge that it is a human being, once they acknowledge that it is an innocent human life, Now this becomes a a series of of arbitrary characteristics to decide when we can destroy innocent human life. Mm -hmm. And that is fundamentally what this debate is about. When is it appropriate to kill innocent human life? Well,
2: if you're the left, you think that it's appropriate to kill innocent human life if you think they might end up in foster care. That's one of their biggest pushes is, well, I mean, their life won't be very fun. Their, Their life is going to have challenges. So let's just kill them.
0: Yeah. I, That's I actually, the argument. There, there was a case, case down, I can't remember what it was, but it hit the newspaper and it was a it was a child that was found in a bag that had been abandoned, an infant, a bag that had been abandoned in the woods. The the police found the child, saved the child. And I saw somebody get on there and be like, you know, for all you pro lifers out there, if if you're gonna get rid of abortion, this is what you're gonna get more of. And I want to be like, children being saved? Like that's your that's your big argument. Mm. Well, this child was abandoned. Okay, I'll tell you what. How about in thirteen years, you go back to that child and And you say, "Hey, I got a question. Are you thankful to be alive? Are you thankful to be alive right now, or would you have preferred that you've been aborted in the womb?"
2: Honestly, and and honestly, the only people
0: ask, the only people making those statements are people that have already been born. Right? Mm. It's never someone. I mean, it's just ridiculous.
2: And human beings have always produced other human beings who who end up being just horrible and doing horrible things. But you don't know, you don't know that, um, that this child is going to go off and, and, what they're going to become or anything like that. So just exterminate it. And I would say that the whole abortion argument has actually devalued life and mm-hmm. made yes. girls more yes. likely to go ahead and and have birth in the bathroom at prom and leave it in the trash can. Well, and let's, let's and not fre- th- this has it has put it into the perspective of, well, I can just say that it was stillborn. Or I could just say this. And and I can just discard this child I mean th- there was even a-, a case recently where the boyfriend and the girlfriend had planned to kill their baby whenever she had the baby and she killed her baby at, like gave birth to it alone in her room killed the baby and she was texting her boyfriend about how hard it was to um, to smother her baby. I am telling you right now if this is happening when abortion is just something you can just come by so easily, I will say. You're going to find horrible human beings in every in, in every walk of life, every scenario, no. and you're never going to get rid of that 100%. But the idea that valuing human life more would cause more of this is, is absurd. It's absurd. No. They have devalued life.
0: Well, Nick, make the argument for us. All right. Well, this comes down to a, a, a fundamental issue that I think a lot of conservatives or liberty minded people face. And that is, is that if you're pro-liberty and you don't like the idea of the government coming in and interfering in your life or your choices, especially those that are very intimate to you and your body and your healthcare, et cetera, how can you be pro-life? And here's what I want to emphasize. The whole idea of liberty is, again, your right to be able to live your life the way you want, provided you don't infringe on the liberties of somebody else. And as a caveat to that, you take responsibility for your actions. So if you're allowing for a procedure where someone is able to go in and aggressively, because that's what this is, aggressively terminate, end another human life, You are violating that basic principle. So what this entire debate should come down to is a fundamental question of whether or not we're talking about innocent human life. And as you heard me early explain it, I'm going to do it again here very quickly. This is very easy. We have tests to determine between life and non-life. And we know this based off of certain characteristics that we use, certain scientific characteristics that we use to distinguish between the two. Secondly, we can distinguish between human life and non-human life. One of the most obvious ways to do this is through DNA, and at the moment of conception, you meet the criteria for being a living entity, but you also meet the criteria for being a living human entity. So at the moment of conception, we can, we can demonstrate that we're talking about innocent human life by any fair scientific criteria that we currently use. The third question is one of innocence because obviously if someone comes up and is trying to kill you and you defend yourself and you kill them, we don't call you a murderer. We recognize that you were defending yourself. So the question in the case of a pregnancy is that are we talking about an innocent human life or somehow a guilty or parasitic human life? Well, first of all, a child does not meet the characteristics to be defined as a parasite. That is an easy scientific question that can be answered by a simple Google search. Secondly, The baby had no say over the circumstances or conditions upon which they were brought about. So to suggest that they are somehow guilty of tyrannizing the mother or oppressing the mother or being a parasite on the mother simply does not hold out under any sort of scientific, legal, or philosophical criteria. And to suggest otherwise is to accept a philosophical or legal reality that would have horrible consequences across the board. So ultimately, when you're making your argument, there's a couple things I want you to focus on. One is establishing that this really is a question of innocent human life and whether or not there is any sort of obligation to protect it or to the very least prevent it from being eliminated. Then we also need to get into the practical considerations because obviously the left loves to bring up this idea that if you don't agree with every single one of their government programs, and somehow you're not really pro-life, you're just pro-birth. And what you need to ask them is two questions. The first one is, is okay, if we gave in everything you wanted, would you be against abortion? Because the moment they say no, you realize that that's not really what this is about for them. And secondly, we also need to be the sort of people that when we do argue from a pro-life perspective, and we have the strong scientific, legal, and moral um, ground on which to stand to make that argument, we also want to be the people that recognize that one of the best ways to take care of children is through voluntary cooperation within the family, within the community, okay? It does not require some all-knowing, all-powerful, confiscatory government agency to raise children. We can do that through the family, through the extended family, and when necessary, through friends and through other civic organizations, and we should make that argument, and we should never be afraid to make it because the moment we are no longer willing to stand up for innocent, defenseless human life because we find it politically inconvenient, then none none of your other rights are safe nor should they be incredible i think that aims, arms us with a lot uh, to start
1: out our section here for recommended research we want to point everybody to students for life especially if you are a college student on campus i had the opportunity to work for sfla for a period of two years uh, between 18 2018 Could 2019 you
3: explain just real quick what sfla is Yep, yeah. um
1: and what well, so Students for Life is a student organization that's on hundreds of college campuses around the country. Uh, they have groups on campus that get together. And a lot of times they're actually providing resources for uh, pregnant and parenting students, whether that be uh, unexpected pregnancies or new mothers on campus. Um, and so there's, there's a lot going on there. I got to work on the media team in uh, HQ, and that was a great experience. Got to go to um, you know SCOTUS for all these cases and everything. But if you're a student especially... Check out Students for Life and maybe get involved with a group on your campus.
0: Nick? Yeah, Students for Life is a great organization. Um, they... they- Again, they do a lot of good work. National Right to Life is another organization, national level, that's put in a lot of effort um, that, that's been really helpful, again, for us as legislators. Um, the other thing I want to point out is various crisis pregnancy centers, and that's kind yeah. of the generic term. Um, like in, in our area, you know, you have things like Thrive and other areas. Yeah. They go by different terms. Um, Let Them Live is another great organization. Yeah. Here's why I think these organizations are so important is because this is an opportunity to answer um, the, the practical concerns associated with this. Now, again, I I think being able to make the moral argument is incredibly important. um, And that's where it all starts. But that doesn't change the fact that women find themselves in situations with unplanned pregnancies and they don't know what to do and are oftentimes are put under a great deal of pressure. And the real question that we have to ask for those of us that care about this issue is are we willing to step up Mm -hmm. and be the answer to so many of those questions that young mother has? And organizations like Let Them Live, Organizations like Crisis Pregnancy Centers are an excellent way to not only come alongside them emotionally, spiritually, it's also a great way to come alongside them in practical, economic, and financial ways that they need to be able to make the decision that they want to make. But oftentimes are feeling a great deal of pressure from the father, sometimes from parents, sometimes from outside sources. And let's never forget, the abortion industry is a billion-dollar Industry
2: and they prey on women in crisis,
0: and they prey on women in crisis. And so we have to be the ones willing to step up and say no. We'll yeah. we'll provide we'll provide that well, additional the, support you need.
1: Here's the distinction: when the left you know looks at us and says oh, you're, you you don't support any of these government programs, so therefore you're only pro birth. No, we have thousands of pregnancy resource centers across the country mm-hmm. who provide those materials, those items that pregnant and parenting uh, mothers need. And here's an opportunity for all of us to come together and actually walk the walk, Mm -hmm. whether that's volunteering at a pregnancy resource center or coming alongside, you know, a friend or family member who may find themselves in an unexpected pregnancy. This really comes down to personal responsibility in the great scheme of things. I think my opinion is, is that you can pass however many laws you want to, you can, do as much online, social media-wise, as you want to to change the culture. But the answer really comes down to, are we going to have a society that is responsible, one, to themselves and two, to their neighbor or their family member?
0: I, so I think that point is, is probably the most critical one we can make in this entire mm-hmm. podcast, and that is the idea that you don't, don't get me wrong, I think, I, I think there are, there is legal protections that should be owed to the unborn. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, am, I am fully committed to that. I've carried the legislation on it. I voted that way. I will continue and to do so. thank you for doing that. However, however, the way you really beat this ultimately, when when we can declare victory is not simply when we pass a law. We can declare victory when we're in a situation where a woman would never consider Sitter.
1: this. Yes.
0: Because there is the, the family, the social, the moral underpinnings, which see a child, even one, that is unexpected, mm-hmm. as a blessing, as an opportunity, not simply as a, as a burden. And look, we're not taken away and I, <laughs> I got three kids. It's difficult at times. Um, but I wanna live in the sort of society that always sees that ultimately as this is a blessing. And, and to some degree it is on us to create both the intellectual as, long as, the, as well as the practical mm-hmm. conditions where that can be fully realized,
1: if a mother goes to the government for help, Appreciate it She gets the government, and she doesn't get a person. She doesn't form a relationship with, and she usually mom. doesn't get
3: help.
2: It, <laughs> it, it, actually going to the government is an interesting conundrum because you go and you qualify because of certain things, mm-hmm. but if you pull yourself up to a certain level, they strip you of some of the things to be able to continue on. So. You'll get the the free childcare and the and and the help with you know food yeah. And but if you're like married, we, we but can but help. once you if if you, uh, I have a family member this happened to, mm-hmm. where she qualified for certain things. She she had an unexpected um, pregnancy, and she worked her tail off to get herself out of the predicament she was in. But because she worked so hard to get out of that predicament, she lost her child care. She lost, she lost the yeah. thing that was making it possible for her to do this. And she couldn't afford child care. And, and so the government sort of puts these things into place that sort of hold you there. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I, I just feel like it's, it's the business of creating a per- permanent voting demographic.
0: Yeah.
2: And it's, it's restrictive and, and it binds them up
0: well, I'm, it's it's this it's this, it, and it's weird that I'm using this term in this conversation. It's the paternalistic viewpoint of a lot of progressives is this as if this idea, and Thomas Sowell worded it this way. He called it the vision of the anointed. Mm-hmm. It's that they see themselves as as special and enlightened, and the rest of society either isn't there or is incapable of getting there and really just needs to be taken care of. And the way they're going to be taken care of is through, you know, wise political and government leadership that is going to redistribute resources in a more equitable manner, and of course, they, as a part of the anointed, will be a part of that process of determining wh- how the resources sure. will be allocated. Not because they've produced any of the resources, not because they're especially good at determining, the, but because they're just they're just better people. They're better people. They're better people. You know what I'm that argument passionate. is very
3: similar to. And I won't get into it, but that argument, maybe we could talk about it at some other point. That argument is very similar to the exact argument that Lenin used in the 1917 revolution. Mm-hmm. We're the vanguard of the revolution. Yeah. The, the people, the proletariat, you know, because Marx said that it was going to be the people that would rise up, but that's not what happened in Russia. It was a small group of people. Yeah. It was the vanguard that ro- rose up and, yeah. and then they took power for themselves.
1: It's almost time for us to wrap up, Nick, but I've got one more question. We talked about personal responsibility. We talked about that if we're going to ultimately create a society where abortion is unthinkable and unnecessary, it's going to require personal responsibility on everyone's part, but it's also going to require sacrifice on all of our parts. So what are some ways that we can get involved with this and maybe even, you know, helping out uh, a young mother in an unexpected pregnancy. And Tina, I obviously want to go to you to this too. Well,
0: a- again, I, and I think, I don't want to steal Tina's thunder here, but I think she's actually right. It's let them Live org is sure. one of the best it's, places that you can go. It's it- a
2: really interesting organization and they have caught a little bit of flack because um, some competing organizations or competing, you know, pro-lifers have, have sort of gone the route of, well, Aren't you letting them hold their baby hostage? And I feel like that's that's such a cop out mm-hmm. for um for our side to ever make. Um, so no, these women are not holding their babies hostage. What's happening is they're making a list of the things that are are actual, real, tangible challenges to them being able to experience motherhood, and they have helped um so many women. Uh, be able to overcome those hurdles in order to carry out their pregnancies. And every single one of them, every single one of them is counting their blessings with that baby. And that that's one of the things I think that a lot of times we don't talk about. We don't talk about the scarring that happens to women when they don't carry a baby to term. Now, some of that is, I mean, with miscarriages, it, it's painful. Even if you weren't expecting to be pregnant and you miscarry, it is incredibly painful. A lot of women experience that same type of pain when they abort. It's, it's that loss of you, you were a mother and you lost your baby and whether it's something where they were convinced to do it or they thought they were doing the right thing. not, Not a lot of people talk about the fact that women carry around this burden of pain afterwards. And they don't know where to place it because they were told so much that what they were doing was brave and good and honorable. And it was, it was, um, it was going to be good for their future. But now they're struggling with various mental health issues Mm -hmm. because they aren't recognizing that, that you were pregnant, you, you lost your baby and that is a painful thing, even if you made it happen. And so, and 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 I would argue it's even worse than if it happened spontaneously, because now you're living with the guilt of knowing that you made yeah. that happen. And a lot of women feel so bullied into not talking about it because the rest of society um, who is pro-choice, who ne- they need her to be mm-hmm. in the rallying cry with them. And they're in pain and they're not allowed to talk about that. And they're not allowed to make that public. And so uh, there are these organizations like Crisis Pregnancy Center. They, if you've had an abortion, even if it was decades ago, you need to talk that stuff through. You need to come to grips with it and and process it to heal. And they provide post-abortive counseling. And they don't they're not there to be judgy or anything like that. They are there because they know that something in you broke and they want to help you put it back together because there is always hope. And so some of these, some of these things don't get talked about a lot. And, And I really feel that a lot of times we center the focus on women who don't want their responsibility. But honestly, this is an organization which preys on women who find themselves in, it's Planned Parenthood or any Any abortion abortion industry. Industry. It's a billion dollar industry and they make money off of convincing you, you have no way forward with a baby Mm. and they need to exterminate it. And so, uh, they make a a great deal of money doing that. And so I just feel like we we need to provide more support to be able to let people talk to us who've experienced that without judgment.
1: I agree. Well, Nick uh, give us something for all the guys listening as to the role we should be playing in this issue, how we can save lives. yeah f- first of all
0: yeah first of all like all, all the little you know jokes that we've heard about this whole idea of you know birthing people and, and everything else it becomes real easy for the guys to say, you know, okay that's that's ridiculous. Um, but a lot of times guys feel and this has been this has been purposeful. guys feel like we don't have a say in this conversation other mm-hmm. than to support, quote, Whatever Planned Parenthood or what it tells us is our appropriate yeah. role in this. Um, there's a couple of things that, that are obligated. First of all, if you're not ready to be a daddy, don't do daddy things. And, and I'm sorry, this whole argument, this whole argument that, well, well, nobody's going to do that. No, be a man and decide that if you're not willing to actually make a commitment to the woman you're about to sleep with or the child you might be about to create, then you don't make that decision. Yep. But you don't get to cop out of your responsibility, put it all on her as if you're noble and a feminist because you supported her right to choose. No, you supported her right to bear the burden for the rest of her life because of an action you participated in and then walked away from. I cannot think of a, of a lower form of irresponsibility than that. And I find it absolutely disgusting. And fathers, you better be teaching your sons that because I can't tell you how many dads I have seen that if somebody wants to date their baby girl, they are appropriately skeptical and defensive. But when it comes to their boys, it's like, go out there and have a good time, son. No, you teach both of your kids, your sons and your daughters to be respectful of their bodies, to be respectful of the bodies of the people that they may be interested in. And to always take responsibility for their actions and be cognizant of the consequences of their actions. So much of this, and and study after study after study demonstrates this, the number one most influential person outside of the woman herself when it comes to whether or not she gets an abortion is the disposition and attitude of the father. If that father is willing to stand up, and even if they're not willing to be a husband, if they'll be a father, that woman is far more likely to have the child And understandably so. So don't let anybody tell you that as a man, you don't have a right to have an opinion on this position because you know what? We might not all be women. We were all fetuses at one point. We were all the children in the womb at one point. And that is ultimately one side of this argument that we're advocating on behalf of. But the other is if you want to be a man, if you want to be a real man, then a big part of that is understanding the obligation that you have To that mother and to that child you helped create. I wanna thank you for joining us on this episode of Making the Argument. Leave us your feedback. Let us know about your stories. One of the things that Tina mentioned that I think is so important here is that there are people, uh, both women that have had an abortion or men that have pressured their girlfriend or maybe their wife to have an abortion, that really need to be able to tell their story. Because regardless of what society or Planned Parenthood or a billion-dollar abortion industry have told them, they know there was something wrong in that decision. And they want to be able to talk about it. One of, the most, one of the most beautiful episodes of healing that I think we ever got to witness was a good friend of ours who was an abortion survivor having a good conversation with another friend of ours who had had two abortions and them sitting down and talking about it from their, their different perspectives, but being able to do so in a realm where they knew that both of them were loved. That's the sort of environment that we have to create. Once again, thank you for joining us and we'll see you next episode.